I love when when the ideas happen, when either an idea formulates or the, the puzzle pieces click together and two ideas that maybe weren't connected connect or something. Whenever that 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 alchemy of creation happens, there's there's no I mean, there are a few charges, but making people laugh is sort of a, that kind of a charge where like, ooh, I just did something. It's like a little magic trick. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about the unexpected paths to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman, and I'm so excited to have my friend and cartoonist, Greg Schiegel, on the show today. We are recording on location at Greg's home studio in New York City this week. Greg talks about his internship at Marvel, which led him to a job there, his time at Nickelodeon, which is where we met, and what he's been up to since self-publishing his comic book, Picks and then having it picked up and published by Image Comics as well. Before we get started, I want to tell you about our partner, General Assembly. They're an incredible continuing education organization where you can learn about data science, digital marketing, UX design, and so much more. If you go to ga.co, you can use the offer code MAKINGWAYS at checkout and get 15% off any class or workshop. So check it out. Let me know what you think. Okay, let's get started with the conversation with Greg Schiegel. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Rob. I'm so glad to have you. I'm excited. You are a cartoonist, you're a comic book artist, and I want to start off by hearing about when you first got into comics and maybe even the first comic that you ever received where you were like, yeah, this is awesome. Uh, I definitely remember the first comic that I was probably nine, eight or nine years old. The first comic that I sort of discovered on my own. And by discovered on my own means it wasn't a character I recognized from the Super Friends or from TV. It was a comic called Power Pack, which was a a sibling group of four siblings that got superpowers from an alien horse. Uh, and it was, I mean, that's still to this day a book I look back on. It's like that was a, a key sort of entry point. That was a book I discovered on my own. It was perfect for my age and... I was off to the races with that one. And when you got that comic, did you start immediately drawing it and trying to emulate the artwork in it? No, I was drawing, I think, even before the comic stuff. I think it was all happening at the same time. Uh, I have very, again, shady memories, but there's still memories in kindergarten of drawing on the blackboard. And I believe I was trying to draw the Flintstones. I don't know that I actually was. Like, I don't know what it looked like. But in my memory, I was drawing the Flintstones. I know in first grade, I was drawing like Smurfs and Star Wars stuff. Uh, the earliest drawings I have are probably from around fourth grade, G.I. Joe, and and just sort of weird superhero-y things and animals. And listeners who don't know your work will see it. I'm going to link to everything from okay. the the website. You're an incredible artist. Thank you. When you were young and and drawing those drawings, whatever they were, if they were the Flintstones or they were trying to be, did people recognize immediately teachers, family members, and go, okay, Greg kind of has a gift here? I believe so. Again, I was too young to know what they were really saying. But my understanding is that it was recognized and encouraged that I was, I was more capable than uh, you know, other people in my grade, age group, peers, whatever phrase you would use. So in high school, did you have the intention of going into art school? And what was what was your college experience like? I know you you kind of transferred midway, but tell <laughs> yeah, me about sure. the first school you went to and then let's get to the rest of it. Sure. When I, just backing track even further, when I was in about fourth or fifth grade is when I locked into, I want to make comic books. It was a very conscious decision at that point between comics, comic strips and animation. 
And I sort of weighed all three of those at that young age and determined comic books was uh, the format I was most interested in. In fourth or fifth grade? Yeah. You you were like, okay, I, I see what different paths are available out there. Yeah. I draw in this certain way. I love these different things. It wasn't things. even about the drawing of a certain way. Because I, I can draw cartoony. I can draw comic booky. It was more a case of, there's a book I have called Secrets of Professional Cartooning. It's a great book. It's not in print anymore, but it's if you find it, it's tremendous. Uh, that book explained really in great depth the the job of being a comic strip artist, which is doing a comic strip every day, Sunday's comic strip in color, four panels, the, the traditional newspaper comic strip. That seemed cool, but it didn't seem like enough room to tell it the kinds of stories I was interested in, which were comic book stories. Animation, there was plenty of stuff about animation out there too. You'd watch these Disney specials or whatever. The idea of drawing the same thing over and over and over again, 24 times per second or 36 times, just seemed so tedious to me. I was not interested in that. So that's where I sort of locked into comics. So knowing that I wanted to make comics, I knew that based on what I learned from reading interviews and seeing the world of comics, you did not need to go to college at all to make comics. Uh, Plenty of people started making comics right out of high school if they were either good enough or flashy enough or whatever. So I knew in the back of my mind, college was not a necessity. That said... I was a bright kid. I was good at school. It seemed like college was the thing to do. So coming out of high school, my attitude was, if I'm going to go to college, I might as well go to art school and get better at drawing, get better at art to really secure that place in, in making it in comics. So I applied to two art schools, uh, School of Visual Arts in New York and Savannah College of Art and Design in Savannah, Georgia, known as SCAD. Uh, I was offered... A bit of money to go to SCAD. SVA offered nothing, but SVA had a long-standing cartooning program and SCAD was just starting theirs. So I again said, well, if I'm going to go to art school, I should go to the better one, the one that's established. So I came up to New York, went to SVA and not being a kid that went to sleepaway camp, not being a kid that really ever went anywhere. This was my first time away and I was in New York City. They had me living. So the school is located, and this might be very specific to people in New York, but I'll try and do my best to explain it to as many people you know, as, as clear as possible. The school's located on 23rd Street, thereabouts, down Midtown, downtown Manhattan. They had me living on the Upper West Side, which on a map is like, oh, that's only three miles away. But it's in New York City, it's a whole different animal. You had to carry canvas and stuff on the subway. The whole thing was not uh, what I was interested in. There was no campus. And part of my attitude of going to college was I wanted to experience college. And what college was like to have the experience of going to college versus not. Uh, And just everything about SVA was not college to me. It was art school, which was fine, but it wasn't, it wasn't doing much for me. I wasn't happy there. I looked into the The classes. The classes weren't enough to compel you to stay. You were basically living a city life fresh out of growing up in Miami. And you, yeah, you wanted the typical kind of campus experience in college. So here's a fun story. So I had done the research in terms of how to leave the school, what's involved. And I saw that if I left in the next like week, I'd get most of the tuition back. And it was expensive. I mean, back then I think it was like a 20 something thousand dollar a year school. So I saw this and I saw I'm like, well, all right, I should just go get as much money as we can back, not cost my parents this much money to do this thing that I'm not happy doing. So I was in class and I got pulled out of class by the dean of the cartooning department. And he pulls me into his office and he says, and I'd already made this decision that I'm going to leave. You know, I, I, I have bad news. I have to tell you, we're, we're going to have to ask you to leave the school. And I go, oh my God, that's great news. Thank you. I was, I was actually going to say I wanted to leave. <laughs> and, the, and the guy looked at me like, wait, what? No, I was kidding. I was kidding. I was, I was calling you to tell you what your AP credits were going to get you. 
And I'm like, well, sorry, I, w- I want out. Uh, and he would ask me why. And I told him I wanted a college experience. Like I wanted to know that there were fraternities, even though I had no interest in joining one. Like I wanted to know that that existed in the college uh, realm. So yeah, with that, I sort of gave my notice, I guess. I was done with school. I said goodbye to the five people I met that I was friendly with. And, and I left. I uh, went back to Florida. You didn't, you didn't have uh, the next school lined up no, or anything? No, yeah. no. I, I was going to drive around in the time I had to visit other schools. And I had this whole, like this, again, pre-internet, I had this thing called a triptych that you'd get from a, uh, AAA. It was like this map. with It was like, a, like Yahoo Maps before Yahoo Maps, which is <laughs> Google Maps before Google Maps. No, not even Yahoo Maps. MapQuest. MapQuest is what I'm thinking of. Yeah, this was like pre-MapQuest printable maps. I had this whole thing. I was going to drive around for a week to Indiana, to uh, Pennsylvania, like all over the place. Cause I had my car in New York, which was a dumb move, but it was parked out my cousin's place on Long Island. Anyway, I quickly determined I didn't want to drive around the country by myself. I drove back to Florida. I visited two schools, uh, uh, Florida state and university of Florida. And then went back to Miami, went to a local school just to catch up with my peers. I went that summer. I went that next semester. And then that summer, and then I caught up with everybody and I applied to the University of Florida. And that was it. I got in. And at that time, they had a thing called Florida Scholars Program, which is if you had maintained a certain grade point average and took certain classes in high school, the state would give you money to go to a state school. So I went to University of Florida basically for free. I mostly paid for living and I went to University of Florida and I got a degree in advertising, a bachelor's of science in advertising that is still rolled up in a tube. So are you happy that you made that, that yeah. switch? Yeah, for a couple of reasons, and this is going to jump ahead, but one of the reasons was when I was at UF, I, I looked into the internship program at Marvel Comics. And when I spoke to people at Marvel, the woman told me straight up that they don't take SVA students because SVA wouldn't give college credit for Marvel internships and Marvel wow. wouldn't take you as an intern if you didn't get college credit. <laughs> so it sort of worked out okay that I was not an SVA student. Uh, and then it became funny because I went to go, I, we're gonna, when, I was at, when I was at Nickelodeon, a lot of the people there went to SVA. They went for illustration or whatever they were doing. And none of them were the illustrators. They were all designers or something else. And I was the one guy that didn't study illustration and I was the illustrator. <laughs> so it all, it just sort of goes to show you, I, I say this to people all the time and, and nobody listens because when you're 17, you're not listening to a grown up. but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like depending on what you want to do, college doesn't necessarily matter as much as getting some experience doing the thing you want to do. Because that advertising degree for me, and I'm sure maybe people at the time, it sounds so left field. Why not study illustration? Why not study the form and shape and all these things? Right. Versus, you know, you knew in fourth grade, fifth grade, you didn't want to be an advertising executive. Right. So why did you choose that? So the logic of advertising was, I knew, my thinking was, if I'm not going to art school, I'm not taking art classes. Why take art classes if you're not at art school? This was, again... I was 18, 19 years old. So, all right, I'm not going to major in art if I'm not going to art school. That's, that's stupid. Okay, what, then what? Comics are words and pictures. Ads are words and pictures. It's, it's, it's that fusion of visual and language to create, to, to create a story, a message. That was my logic for advertising. Um, it was a thing that related to the thing I was interested in doing. And I thought I could learn something there. And I thought I'd be good at it. And I was pretty good at it particularly not even the design stuff, but just the strategy and sort of analyzing research, problem solving, uh, which is also a, a, quite a bit of comics. When you break down a script and create a story out of it and, and lay it all out in panels, 
there's there's certain math and stuff to that. Uh, so yeah, advertising was mostly a case of, and and there's probably a percentage of this would be a thing to do in case you know, that fallback position. Uh, yeah, that was the logic. And then I sort of tailored my college experience to that. So I took the required classes for advertising, and then I took a lot of creative writing classes, a lot of you know children's literature classes. There was one comic book class at UF. I took that. Uh, I would take whatever classes I could to sort of build a curriculum that became comics. So if a teacher would allow me, I'd write my papers in comic form. All my ads were comics. Like every time I'd do an ad, it was, it was a you know character with a word balloon. And I was just driving that engine as much as possible. So how did you get the internship? Making, uh, making those phone calls. It really was a case of I called Marvel. I spoke to the woman at the time, Mary McFerrin. This was right as Marvel was starting to fall apart in terms of its bankruptcy life. So she straight up said- This is like late 90s? This would have been 96. Okay. Actually, 94, 95, because I interned in 96. Okay. So I was on the phone with her and she straight up said, call back in four months. I might not be here, but ask for the intern coordinator, talk to them. And four months later, she was gone. Uh, I spoke to the intern coordinator. She said, send the resume. So I made a resume, sent it up there. And then I just called, I think every two weeks to check. And eventually she said, oh yeah, you're going to be interning in this office. When can you start? Was it a bit of a dream job to be at oh, Marvel? Yeah. No, there was, there was, I specifically remember one day, uh, one of the other interns, Julio and I were just walking through the bullpen, the famous Marvel bullpen, which is really just where production happens. That's where they're, they're you know, doing paste up and putting covers together and all that. And we just stopped there and looked at each other like, where, look at where we are. Like, this is unbelievable. So yeah, there was definitely those moments where, like, you know, you're making photocopies, you're doing this, dr- you know, dredge work or drudgery, drudgery, what's, whatever the word is. Yeah. You're doing that stuff, but yeah, you're just like, holy smokes, I'm here. And then in my last two weeks, I started showing my work to people because up at Tailbone, I was just like, did my job, did my job. And, you know, then you start getting feedback and you start sort of putting yourself out and you're just shaking like a leaf when it was like time for me to show the guys I'd been working with for three months. Like, hey, can I show you guys stuff? And, you know, my, the editor in the office gave me really great feedback. Everybody was giving me feedback, no jobs, but just to have that exposure to people and have people suddenly know who you were and know your name and sort of give a crap that you are interested was, that's huge. And you went on to be an assistant editor at Marvel. Did you jump from the internship to a full-time job? How, how did that transition happen? So, oh, and I forgot one other thing. When I was in Florida, when I'd gone back to Florida, because I was back in Florida, I was able to take an eight-week workshop with a guy named Will Eisner. And people who know comics will know Will Eisner. Will Eisner basically is the guy who coined the term graphic novel that everybody uses now, pioneer in the field. And he used to teach his eight-week workshop in Florida. So because I was in Florida, I was able to do this workshop. And that was another incredibly encouraging thing because he, you know, literally gave me a pat on the back and said, you should be sending your work into the publishers. I'm like, holy, this is huge. So to answer your question, I, I finished my internship that was summer 96. I graduated in May of 97. And then about two weeks after my graduation or three weeks, I came back to New York and spent four days, four or five days in New York, just dropping off portfolios and showing work to people. Got no work out of that. But an editor at Marvel, a guy named Matt Idelson, was very encouraging, gave me another story to work on, not for pay, just to keep practicing. The samples I did from that, which was a Deadpool comic, now Deadpool's huge, uh, I did a five-page Deadpool sample. I sent those samples in, and that got me my first job drawing a comic. I, I got a job drawing a comic before I was an assistant editor. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, almost 20 years ago, because it would have been August of 97, uh, so I don't know when this episode is dropping, but it might be 20 years ago exactly. <laughs> but August of 97, I got my first job as a professional in comics. It was an issue of What If, a comic called What If, number 104. 
what if the Silver Surfer, it was a what if Silver Surfer story, but involved a character named the Impossible Man getting something called the Infinity Gauntlet, which now everybody will know about because it's in all the Marvel movies. But at the time it was this, you know, this piece of Marvel's uh, ephemera. Um, so I did that. I finished that, I think in September of 97. And then I got a call from a guy who had been an intern who got a job at Marvel. And he was saying, listen, things are changing here. So-and-so left. These people are getting shifted around. There's going to be some openings. You know, I was setting up to be a freelance cartoonist and I was going to finish that issue. What if, and then try and get another one and keep that train going. But then I got this job on staff and I, and I took that job. Hey everyone, I want to talk to you about a little something you can do to help Making Ways podcast, and it doesn't cost you a nickel or a dime or a penny or a hundred dollars. It's actually free and will just take you a couple minutes. And what I'm asking you to do is leave a review on iTunes. When you leave a review on iTunes, it's a really incredible way to turn more people onto the show. So if you head over there and you like the show, leave a five-star review. Leave a little note about what you like about the show or one of your favorite episodes. It'll take a few minutes, and it's really an incredible way you can support the show. Thanks so much, and let's get back to the conversation. How many years were you at Marvel for? About two and a half. Not okay. very long. And what define the role of an editor in the comic book world? All right. So it can vary depending on the style of that editor. But in its basic form, the editor's job as I was taught, was sort of trained, is to work with the talent, and the talent being the writers, the artists, the letterers, the colorists, all those people, and the production team in-house to get books done well and on time and out to the printer. So that meant, and again, every, every office had a different philosophy. So the office I was in was let the creators do their best work and help them do it, whether that's being on the phone with the, the, the writer to work out the story or calling up the artists to encourage them to get the pages in and whatever the case may be. That was our, 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 and I remember specifically coming in one day with ideas for the Hulk because we'd inherited the Hulk and I had these, all these ideas for the Hulk and Tom, my boss said, these are all good ideas. It's not our job. Like our job is to hire people to tell the stories, uh, which, which was, you know, a good thing to be reminded of because it also reminded me like, oh, this isn't what I should be doing right. forever uh, because I want to be doing the other thing. And did you get a call from Nickelodeon? What kind of pulled you away from Marvel to go to Nick? Sure. So it was, it was twofold. One is I, I had always had my eye looking past the assistant. I never wanted to be an editor. I, I, I was fine being an assistant. And I, my attitude was once I've learned as much as I can, I will go and start writing and drawing. Uh, and I'd started to sort of pick away at that while I was at Marvel. I was doing licensing work and I was pitching stories here and there. But at that, I, the entire time I was at Marvel, the company was bankrupt. So it was sort of a, a weird time to be at Marvel. And things just weren't getting much better. Uh, so I had one eye thinking like, all right, it might be time to, to leave at a certain point. And then one day, my boss, Tom, got a call from his friend who worked at Nickelodeon. And he just leaned over to me and said, hey, are you interested in doing any freelance work for Nickelodeon? I said, of course I am. Sure. So he put me in touch with his guy. Uh, that guy was Manny. Manny called me up. He said, basically you do a test. We'll send you some model sheets. You draw two poses of each character and then we'll take it from there. And the characters I draw were Cat Dog and SpongeBob SquarePants, who I'd never heard of <laughs> ever. Because the show had only just started, like the show started in 99. Okay. Uh, and I got, and I left Marvel in 
2000, January of 2000 was my end of my Marvel time. So yeah, it wasn't like this show is, I'd never heard of it. I did my samples. I think they're terrible. <laughs> but what I thought was going to be freelance work turned out to, hey, we want to hire you to come work at Nickelodeon. We met at Nickelodeon. Yeah. And I remember you fondly. Yeah, what, was, what was I like? Uh, you were very happy. You were uh, bubbly. You were always <laughs> okay. uh, talkative. Sure. Uh, I was always uh, admiring the drawings you were doing. Um, but that was that was one of my very first jobs out sure. of college. So I was very kind of fresh and you were young happy and yeah. yeah excited. And uh, my little cousins loved me because I work with SpongeBob. But how how long did you end up there? What was the actual job? What did it turn out to be? And then where? Where did you go next? Actually, I I, sure. I don't remember. Uh, you know, I think I remember you perhaps leaving, but I don't remember the details. All right, I'll try and I'll try and condense this as as tightly as I can. So I started at Nickelodeon in February of two thousand, February fourteenth, as a matter of fact. I remember that because first day we watched a Valentine's episode of SpongeBob, and that was the first SpongeBob I'd ever seen <laughs> outside of the model sheets. Uh, out of the gate, it was a weird place to work. Like it seemed dis- it seemed confused and disorganized. I wasn't quite sure what I was doing there. Uh, I was hired as a junior illustrator and the job was to do drawings of the characters for licensed products. But I was very quickly, I'm like, what is, what is this place? I don't know. It, it gave me a weird sense. So I almost left after a month. Classic, almost SVA style. Uh, folks at Marvel licensing. Thank God no one called you into their right, office right? to play a joke. You would have been out there. I would have been gone. Uh, the, the folks at Marvel's licensing department who I'd been doing freelance for had offered me to go work with them. So I would have been doing basically the same job at Nickelodeon, but with Marvel stuff, approving statues, working with licensees, getting all that stuff done. And I was about to take that job, but that was when Marvel was coming out of bankruptcy. There was a new publisher. There was new stuff going on. And I remember talking to somebody there and I was asking, what do you think I should do? And his response was, Greg, traffic is going the other way. Like everybody was either leaving or getting fired. And I took that as like, all right, maybe this isn't the ship to get on right now. If everybody's jumping ship or getting fired, what am I, what, what would be the point of me going on board? Hindsight being what it is, could have been a very smart move because now Marvel is, you know, an epic monster, but I didn't. I stayed at Nickelodeon. I stuck it out. So I was, so I always had this eye looking out, but I was making money. And I'm like, let me keep saving money. I'll keep saving money, figure out how to, like what the best way to do this is. The reason I left and why I left was twofold. One, I started asking a lot of questions about how Nickelodeon charges for the NCR, Nickelodeon Creative Resources, how they charge the business side, which was where you were, for the services we were doing. Well, what do you guys charge for penciling of a thing? What do you charge for inking? And I was getting, they were just telling me the numbers. And these were, this was more than I was getting paid. I was getting paid my weekly rate. And I started doing the math. Like, well, if I'm doing 15 drawings a day and they're getting paid this much, and, I'm, and I'm, you know, you start clicking the math, you go, okay, I could be doing better. Than, like, all right, if I did this from home, I'd be making more money. So I had that sort of clocking in the back of my brain. And then the guy who had hired me and another illustrator on the floor uh, were going to leave to a different department. They were going to go into on-air promos and stuff. By them moving, they shifted the illustrators around. And it left me as the only illustrator on the floor who drew SpongeBob SquarePants, Jimmy Neutron, and Invader Zim. So at that point, I go, well, if I leave, they got nobody. They've, they don't realize they've painted themselves into this corner. And I, it might have been at the same time I was asking the questions about how much everything 
And then I just realized if I leave right now, there's no one to replace me. They will have to hire me freelance. And that's it. I've just got, I've got freelance security for a little while. I had enough savings. I think, I think I had eight months of savings just in case. Like I'd been building this head of steam. Uh, yeah. And then I gave my notice and said, you know, I want to go do other, you know, I want to do other things. I'm still available freelance if you need me. Of course they needed me. They didn't even know how much they needed. So I just, it was that kind of a thing. I think I do remember you going freelance because I, yeah. I remember at the time that I felt it was like, wow, that's a big, bold move. He's yeah. going freelance. So so in that, that June of 2002 was, was my last day. Sometime in June, I can't remember the date. And uh, yeah, it happened very, like I started getting work very quickly in the on-air department because they needed storyboard people. So I was doing storyboards for commercials and promos and stuff. And then I was still doing character art. And then because I was working from home, I had more time because I could draw pretty quickly. So I started doing coloring books and storybooks and, and all that licensed publishing stuff. So from 2002 to 2005 were my boom, my boom years. And have you been freelance ever since you left Nickelodeon? Yes. Yeah. So it's been, it'll be, yeah, it's 15 years. And so over all these years, you've been, you've illustrated SpongeBob comics. Yeah. So that came from when I, when I was leaving, Nickel- at the end of my time in Nickelodeon, I started doing stuff for Nick Magazine comics for Nick Magazine. Nick Magazine shuttered in 2009. So from 2002 to 2009, I was doing stuff for Nick Magazine, SpongeBob comics, Fairly Odd Parents comics, that sort of thing. And then they shuttered and two years later, SpongeBob comics launched. So I've been doing stuff with SpongeBob comics since 2011. And what other kinds of freelance have you been up to over these years? Well, it it has been quieter. Like again, those boom years were ridiculous because it was coloring books, storybooks, everything. And it was SpongeBob, Oswald, Fairly Odd Parents, like all these properties that were sort of happening at the same time. So there's so much SpongeBob stuff out there. The demand for that has dropped, but the, the comics are still there. And every now and again, something will come up. Uh, since then, it's really things that come up. I wrote a story for Marvel Comics 2009, 2010, an X-Babies four-issue miniseries. Uh, I've done these DC comics illustrated, like licensed things, whether it's little chapter books for kids or coloring books. I did in 2014, and this will be the segue that you might be looking for. In 2014, as I was approaching my 40th birthday, I'd always wanted to, even when I was an assistant at Marvel, I wanted to do my own comics, write and draw and self-publish. So I wanted to get something done before my 40th birthday. So that's when I embarked on this self-publishing venture. And at that point, I kind of turned down work because I just needed to focus on this one thing. I had savings. I don't spend a lot of money. Uh, you know, you live it, you live it lean and then you can, you can, take four months or five months to just not make any money. Uh, so that's when I pursued this, the self-publishing uh, adventure slash venture. Uh, so that started, I guess that technically started in 2013 because then I finally published a book at the end of 2014. And yeah. Yeah. So you've, so it was a few years ago, you had this idea to self-publish and launch your own comic book. Yes. And it's called Pix. Yes. It's about a teenage. It is a teenage superhero who believes that she is a fairy princess. And she might be right, she might be lying, she might be crazy. And so where did this idea come from? Okay. How long had you been thinking about it? I mean, over the past like decade or so, had you been scribbling down comic book ideas and, and really this one resonated the most that you wanted to, like you said, basically take four months and just go all in on creating it? Yeah, so I have a list of ideas and they keep new ones keep popping up because as as... I imagine people listening to, as a creative person, things just occur to you, whether it's a, this would be a nice combination for a cookie or this would be a good idea for a story or whatever. Uh, 
So the the origins of picks actually go back to I think 2003 where 2003 2004 where I was pitching stuff over at no maybe even earlier cuz I think I was doing stuff when I was at Nickelodeon I was sketching a lot. Basically I was trying to pitch something at Marvel with one of their characters. And I pitched it nobody seemed interested at all and one of my friends at Marvel said, "You know what? Why don't you just do this as your own thing?" Like it's not really tethered to any continuity. It doesn't have to be a Marvel comic. And I took that advice and I sort of tweaked things out and changed things so it wasn't the same bit. So the original thing was somebody who was half alien. I'm like, well, I don't want to do aliens anyway. Fairies are cooler. Uh, and then like 2008, I started doing his mini comics, which is basically, you know, photocopy paper folded in half, stapled. And I used to make all those copies at Nickelodeon. I'd go in to Nick Magazine and use the machines and make all the copies. Uh, and they'd give me color printouts of the covers so I could have cool looking covers. Uh, and I actually pitched that around in 08, 09 to no response. And then it goes dormant. Like when, again, when you're not getting that encouragement, when people aren't sort of jumping on board, you say, all right, I'm going to shelve it because I'm going to shelve it. As I was approaching that 40th birthday, I'm like, all right, which of these ideas that I have in front of me, and there's a handful of them, is closest to being something, is the most viable commercially, is the thing that I'm going to sink six months and $7,000 into pursuing or whatever. And that seemed to be the one that I could tackle the most directly and get done the way my brain was seeing it get done. So that's how, I mean, it's, it's, you know, a decade in the making or whatever, but that's sort of how it sort of formulated and became the finished, the finished book that I, so I self-published that in 2014. And then the, the dogged pursuit of getting distribution and getting it promoted and getting it sold was very difficult. Uh, and then as I was working on the second book, because I had not learned my lesson on the first one, <laughs> Uh, and I started pricing that one out because that book was longer. First book was 120 pages. Second book was going to be 200. Uh, and I started getting quotes from the printers. I'm like, oh, this is going to be really expensive. And I haven't made any money on that first thing. Uh, so at that point, I started pursuing, I started thinking about doing a, a crowdfunding thing, which I always wanted to avoid because that just seems like another job. Uh, and then a friend of mine had suggested, why aren't you showing this to Image Comics? You know all the people at Image. You've known them for years. And for a long time, Image wasn't really a place for kids' comics, but they had been making better headway in that direction. They had people there that were more uh, aligned to that that market. Uh, so I, yeah, I presented it to Image because I know the people there, and they said, "Yeah, we like this. We'll publish it." So it saved me a lot of money. Still haven't made any money, but we're still, you know, the pursuit continues. And that's for the second volume is out on Image. Uh, the second volume, and they did a, an Image edition of the first volume. After having a career and being in the middle of a career as a professional drawer, yeah, what is something that maybe people would be surprised to hear is you know really hard part of that job, and maybe a part of it that you love and kind of keeps you know bringing you back no matter what the day challenges uh, you face. So the the thing I love, well, there's two things that I love. It's easier to think of the love things. I love when when the ideas happen. When either an idea formulates or the, the puzzle pieces click together and two ideas that maybe weren't connected connect or something. Whenever that, that, that alchemy of creation happens, there's, there's no, I mean, there are a few charges, but making people laugh is sort of a, that kind of a charge where like, ooh, I just did something. It's like a little magic trick. So there's that. And then just when you get a good reaction from, you know, when a kid reads it and loves it, when a kid sort of comes up and wants the second book, is, you know, I published the first book in 2014. So there were some people that read it early or read it then. 
like, where's the second book? I'm like, I'm working on it. I'm sorry. It's taken a while. But like that excitement is very, I mean, that's that encouragement again. It's that somebody cares enough to want more out of you. Uh, the hard part is the opposites of those things. You know, when the ideas aren't there and you're struggling to get to it, or you have to draw that page that you've written for yourself. You're like, oh God, why did I, why did I set this in the school cafeteria? And I got to draw all these kids and their lunches and make sure they're all different and like do all this stuff because I've put it in my head to make a different, you know, a cast that's not one note. And then, you know, when you don't get those reactions, you see a bad review, it sucks. Uh, but really the, the hardest part is still just that promotional engine. You know, I'm, I'm of, a, and I try and be as, as modern as, and hip as I can, but I am, I am wired, whether it's as a middle child or whatever it is, to, to not seek personal attention, like attention for myself. Well, you have been putting yourself out there to a certain degree. Um, you are a podcaster. Yes. I've been listening to your podcast. You have Stuff Said, which yes. is you talking to other cartoonists right. about their careers and their lives. Right. So other cartoonists are the thing that I'm presenting. Okay, that's right. true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and then you have Cruising Together, which... Cruising. No cru- G's. Sorry, Cruising Together. Yeah. You leave off the last G for something. I've, I've taken all the G's from my name. There's three <laughs> G's right. in Greg. There's no right. more G's to spare. So that podcast is very funny and it's you. you and your co-host talking about Tom Cruise movies. Yes, we the the that show is idiotic and it is a delight. It is me and my friend Chris Jeruso, also a cartoonist, and we endeavored to and succeeded in watching every Tom Cruise movie in order and then we bring a guest on and we discuss quote unquote those movies. And you've talked about encouragement that you've received over the years growing up through your career, even the encouragement from little kids kind of coming up to you and saying, where's that next book? Do you ever help kids or even students, it could be adults, by mentoring them or you know, teaching drawing? And what kind of advice do you, do you give to people? Is it just, hey, that's great. You're, you got talent, keep drawing. What do you say? Uh, so the, the advice I give in general it's not even always art related. I remember giving my cousin this advice when he was graduating college a bunch of years ago, which was one, the cliche is it's who you know, but there's something to that. So meet people, put yourself in those positions to meet people. Two, and, and I still believe this, I don't know how valid this is, but I think there's something to a job is not a career, which is to say you can quit a job. Like a job is not a permanent thing. Uh, if it's not in, if you're in pursuit of a career, you take a job to get to the point you want to get to, but you can get another job, which I know is probably harder to say because at this time, I think jobs are hard. It's hard to get jobs. It's very competitive, but it's a job, right? And there's, there's jobs and careers are two separate things. Career is sort of what you want to do with your life. A job is what you're doing to make some money, to make that next step, to get to the next thing. So depending on how dogged and how, how much foresight you have, you can sort of like, almost like, like puddle jumping. Like you can sort of go across those rocks. If each one of those rocks is a job, but getting across the river is your career. I don't know if that metaphor holds up, but I think it does. Um, I, I like to say that because I think a lot of people get a job and then feel stuck in that job. And I think if you don't think of your job as your career, you can look elsewhere for other jobs, other rocks. And maybe you'll find a job you love that lines up perfect with your career. But I, I try and think of those things as two separate things. 
I'm excited for listeners to check out your books and your artwork. And thank you so much for joining the show. This has been great. Thank you, Rob. You're awesome. You are awesome. You're awesome. Okay, that was my chat with Greg Shegel, the cartoonist and comic book illustrator and writer. Greg, thanks so much for joining the show and being so open with your story and what you've learned over the years. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. To learn more about Greg's work, check out hatterentertainment.com. That's H-A-T-T-E-R entertainment.com. And you can read a preview of his comic book, Picks at pixcomic.com. P-I-X-C-O-M-I-C.com. Making Ways is engineered by Jim Heffernan at TTO Productions. Our intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix, too. If you want to go beyond the episode and learn more about some of the things that Greg was talking about, you can check out our show notes at makingways.co. I've also got original illustrations of each guest and articles that go beyond the episode for you all to check out. We'd love hearing from you, so follow us on Twitter at making underscore ways or on Instagram at making.ways. You can follow along on Medium or on Facebook as well. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.